0: Jesus called his twelve disciples to him, and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip, and Bartholomew. Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphas, and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles, or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received freely give do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep whatever town or village you enter search there for someone wor- some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave as you enter the town give it your greeting if the home is deserving Let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town.
1: Good morning everyone. Now who here watched the coronation of King Charles III the other week? Quite a few of you I see. Maybe some of you are a little bit like me. You didn't watch it because you found something better to do. Anything. You're not really interested. Kind of says what I think about it. Or maybe you're a casual observer. You just watched it because it's an historical event and something interesting but you're kind of not that fussed. Or perhaps... And I'm told that there are some amongst us who uh, are right into it, uh, big fans and organised parties and so forth. So what's going on here? Why the coronation? I mean, he's already the king, isn't he? I thought, I'll do a bit of digging. I'll I'll find out what's going on because, you know, it's been 70-odd years since the last one. Uh, And it turns out that uh, September last year, this fellow, the Garda King of Arms issued the principal proclamation proclaiming Charles as the new sovereign. And this was followed by proclamations all around the United Kingdom. And the following day, here in Australia, our own Governor-General held a ceremony declaring, uh, proclaiming Charles as the ruling monarch of Australia. <clears throat> so the new king's reign has been proclaimed by his servants in all his realms and territories, but he wasn't actually crowned until just the other week. Well, that's a little bit like what's happening in Matthew. There's a new king in town, and he's been proclaiming his kingdom. And now he's sending out his 12 disciples to proclaim the coming of the kingdom. Now, some Christians attempted when we read Matthew 10, to interpret it as a blueprint for Christian mission in general. But I want to suggest that that's not what's happening here, that this sending out of the 12, on the contrary, is a special mission for a special purpose and time in history. Something really big and unusual is happening here. So if you look at your outlines, you'll see that I've entitled today's sermon, A Special Message. And I've broken it down into a couple of points. Number one, a special message or mission. I've got a couple of subheadings there. Number two, special apostles. And number three, special authority. So how do we know that this is a special mission for a special time and not a more general blueprint? What's the big picture here? Where are we up to in the story of Matthew's gospel that we've been studying? Well, when Jesus began to preach, he had a very specific message. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, we read, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So Jesus begins his ministry with his primary message being, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And in verse 23 of chapter 4, we read, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the the people. So there's a bit of a pattern here. This is not just any old message, but it's a special message. It is demonstrated by miraculous signs and even the casting out of demons. And in chapters 8 and 9, we have a selection of Jesus' miracles, which we've been looking at over the last few weeks. And last week we read in 9... 35, a kind of summary of what Jesus has been up to. Jesus went, verse nine, sorry, chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. So again, the pattern of Jesus' ministry continues. A special message demonstrated by special signs from God. And now in chapter 10, it's the disciples' turn. To be sent out on a mission jesus says to his disciples i'm sending you out now just stop and think for a second imagine if you were one of jesus disciples how would you react to that they've seen jesus heal the sick they've seen him heal those with leprosy cast out demons and even raise the dead and now jesus says well it's your turn off you go you go and do it you can just hear the disciples reaction you want us to do what and you're not coming with us So we read in verse verse 1 of our passage today, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And in verse 7, As you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. So Jesus does not send the 12 out to just proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near, but he gives them his unique and special authority You see, anyone could proclaim this message, but not anyone could demonstrate the message with miraculous signs and the casting out of demons. So, same pattern. It's The same message Matthew tells us that Jesus proclaimed when he started his ministry, and when he went throughout Galilee, the kingdom of heaven has come near, backed up by the same demonstration of the power and the authority to demonstrate the kingdom of heaven. It's a special message backed by special miraculous signs of God's power, demonstrating not just the message, but in fact what the kingdom of heaven will be like. It's a foretaste, if you will, a window into what the kingdom of heaven will be like. In verse 8, we read Jesus gives very specific instructions to his disciples on what miracles to do heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Fourfold instructions on what to do. And these four things parallel what Jesus has been doing in chapters 8 and 9, where we saw various miracles. For example, he healed the man with leprosy. He healed the centurion's servant and many others, including those blind and paralyzed. He cast demons out of two demon-possessed men and the man who could not speak. And he even raised to life the dead daughter of a synagogue leader. So this is some serious power that Jesus has accompanying his message. And best of all, this is only a small insight into the future kingdom of heaven and what it will be like when Jesus returns for his coronation, so to speak. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 to 5, we read, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. and He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. for The old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So this is no ordinary missions trip. This is the proclamation and the demonstration of the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' primary message is the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's the message he preaches everywhere he goes. And it's the message he now sends his 12 disciples out to proclaim. Everywhere he goes, he demonstrates this truth and the power of his message with all kinds of miracles and casting out of demons. Likewise, he gives this authority to his disciples to perform miracles, cast out evil spirits, and in the same way demonstrate the truth and the power of the message that the kingdom of heaven has come near. So that's a big picture of what's going on here. It's only a shadow, and we need to remember that this special mission was given to a special group of men in a specific time and place. In verses 2 to 3 to 5, we, lead, we read a, a list of specific men chosen for this mission. It wasn't just all the disciples that he sent on this mission, but 12 carefully chosen disciples. Underscoring the authority given in this instance is a special authority given to the 12 apostles. And note the change of the wording. In verse 1, we saw the word disciples, those who learn, And in verse 2, we read apostles, those who are sent. So this is the moment the disciples move from being merely receivers of the message to proclaimers of the message. The 12 disciples are now referred to as the 12 apostles, those who are sent out on behalf of the king to proclaim God's kingdom. And this is actually the only time that Matthew uses the word apostles instead of disciples, referring to the specially chosen and commissioned eyewitness group of apostles. And who are they to go to on this mission? Well, again, it's very specific. The lost sheep of Israel. In verses 5 and 6 we read, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following message, following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles, or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So this too is following the pattern of Jesus' ministry. Be proclaimed to the people of Israel that the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Jesus' message is first proclaimed to Israel, and it's after Jesus is crucified that the message of the gospel is to be proclaimed to all nations. We know that this instruction to go only to Israel was limited in time, because we read later in Acts chapter 1, for example, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We need to remember also that Israel's ultimate rejection of Jesus and his message as a nation wasn't a failure on part of Jesus. It wasn't as if Jesus just tried his best and thought, oh, well, what's plan B? No, this was all part of God's big picture plan. For example, we read in Genesis 22 and 18, God's promise to Abraham 17 and 18, sorry. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. And the other thing that we need to remember about this special message is that the message is first given to, that is first given to Israel is only a part of the message of the gospel. Later, the full message of the gospel was revealed when Christ has completed his ultimate mission to die for our sins. Continuing on in our passage, verses 9 to 12, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the journey, or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. So the worker is worth his keep, as the saying goes. Take no special provisions and do not arrange places to stay. Now, this is not prescriptive for gospel workers for all time. Not that God can't do these things, but again, he has special instructions for a special mission. Of course, the, principle of, the spiritual principle of trusting God applies to us today, but not the specific instructions. How do we know this? Well, Jesus actually said this. Later we read in Luke chapter 22, Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. And he said to them, But now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. So here we see Jesus telling his disciples to take provision. Also the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5 and 8, tells Christians we are to take care of our families. And we read, If anyone who... Do, if anyone who does not provide for their families and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So there's nothing unscriptural with raising support or planning where to live if you're going to take up full-time or part-time gospel ministry. So what does, So that's what it doesn't mean, sorry. But what does it mean for us? Why are they told to take no provision or even a change of clothes? just imagine someone like peter saying not even a shirt lord really well i want to suggest that there's two things going on here first the disciples are following jesus example a pattern of ministry that this is a different kind of kingdom one that is about giving up their worldly rights not coming as rich leaders or conquering kings to lord it over people but as humble servants so if people do accept them uh, they are taking in people with no money no change of clothes with nothing, nothing to offer. You can just imagine a bunch of smelly, dirty, strange men rocking up saying, "'Anybody want to put us up for a while?' I think only the most committed would take them up on their offer. Also, in those times, it was customary to invite a stranger into your home to feed and lodge them, so it wouldn't be quite as strange for them to do that as it would be for us to do it, for example.' And the second thing I want to suggest that's going on here is that it's a test for the hearers as to how they will respond. Who are those who are worthy that Jesus speaks of? Is it a person who's worthy of the messengers or is it someone worthy to receive the message? Perhaps the person who is willing to accept these dirty and smelly messengers into their home is also worthy to hear a message of a kingdom that holds no earthly gain for its followers. It's a test for how people will respond. Will they provide for the disciples and so demonstrate that they are worthy of hearing the message? If so, the disciples bless. But if not, the disciples make a a sign of judgment and shake the dust off their feet. Verses 13 to 15. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. So again, Matthew is repeating a pattern here. The kingdom is first offered to Israel, and then as per God's long-term promise to Abraham, salvation is offered to all nations. The hearers will either receive a blessing of peace or a judgment of destruction. And this is paralleled in the final fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus will return a second time. He is both the Prince of Peace, but he has authority to judge as well. And we can see this pattern repeated in the parables. For example, the parable of the wedding banquet, which we read later in chapter 22, where those outside are in darkness, and the parable of the sheep and the goats in chapter 25. And it says there in verse 46, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So, it's a very important message, one that has serious implications for the hearers, either blessing or judgment. Okay, so that's what we have seen so far in this passage. We have a special message. The kingdom of heaven has come near, demonstrated by special signs, such as the healing of the sick, raising the dead, cleansing those who have leprosy, and driving out demons. And it's given to a special audience. The lost sheep of Israel, and more specifically to those who are worthy to receive the messengers and the message. It's delivered by special apostles, and it's given with a special authority to proclaim and to demonstrate the message. So, what about us? What can we learn from this as we think about our own mission? Well, we too have a special mission. Matthew records this later in Jesus' instructions to his churches, church in Matthew 28. 18 to 20. And we read, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So we have different instructions given in a different context. This is our mission. But it kind of has a familiar ring to it. The disciples are given authority to carry out a threefold mission, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and teach them. So how do we know that this is a mission for us, and not just for those disciples who were listening on that, in that specific time? Well, one, I want to suggest the commission is for all disciples. He uses the word disciples, not apostles, like he did in chapter 10. Two, Jesus gives the promise. I am with you always to the very end of the ages. So the promise is an enduring one. It goes beyond the lifetime of those original hearers. And the command is bigger than anything the 11 disciples who were listening that day could ever fulfill. Go and make disciples of all nations. And we could say that's still to be completed. We also have a special authority, Because we have Jesus' authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. But we have something more than the disciples had in Matthew chapter 10. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable us to carry out our mission. And we have a special message. And who is this for? Our message is not that the kingdom of heaven has come near, because Jesus has now instigated the kingdom by his death and resurrection and has offered now offers it to all nations but we read in john 3:16 and 17 for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him so our message is jesus christ is the son of god sent to save the world From the punishment of sin, that is death, unto eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Our message is for all the world, in contrast to the disciples in chapter 10. And our message is even more exciting than theirs because we have the full picture of God's salvation plan and the full message of God's exciting good news for everyone. But of course, just like in Matthew chapter 10, not everyone will listen. And when people reject the message, we need to remember it's not us, sorry, it's not us, but Christ they are rejecting. We shouldn't be surprised by this. In fact, we can expect it. And what do we do? Well, we leave it up to God. We can figuratively shake the dust off our feet like the disciples did and keep moving on, not giving up. And even more exciting for us, again in contrast to the disciples in chapter 10, we have Jesus' promise, Surely I am with you always. So they went out without Jesus because but but now Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit so he's able to be present with every believer everywhere we go. So in conclusion, I'd like to just leave you with this. Matthew chapter 10 is not a blueprint for all missions, trips forever. So we don't need to feel guilty if we aren't seeing the same signs accompanying our own missions efforts, but we do have. But what we do have is a special and exciting mission with a special and exciting message. A mission and a message that's for all disciples to convey with the authority of Jesus and the help of the Holy Spirit.